This morning I'd like to speak to you on the importance of baptism, or baptism being an ordinance of the New Testament church. In Matthew 28, 19, we find where the Lord gives a commission to his 12 apostles. This is 40 days after his resurrection. He's laid his life down. He's been resurrected from the grave. He spent 40 days here on this earth. And he's getting ready to leave this earth to go back to heaven to be with the Father. But he gives these instructions to 12 men, 12 disciples, 12 apostles. He said, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'll go with you all the way to the end of the world. Now, somebody might say, well, that commission was just to those apostles. When the last apostle died, there's been no more baptisms. Well, I think you can see how ridiculous that statement would be. Plus the fact we find in Acts chapter 8, a man by the name of Ananias is going to baptize, excuse me, Philip is going to baptize a eunuch. Philip was not one of the twelve. In Acts chapter 9, a man by the name of Ananias is going to baptize Saul of Tarsus. Uh, that was his name before becoming Paul. And he was not one of the twelve. This commission was to the apostles and for those that would follow after them. Now, he says, go and teach all nations. In contrast to a first gospel commission, he gave him Matthew 10, where he restricted it to the Jewish people. Here he said, go not the way of the Gentiles, the way of the Samaritans, but go ye rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But now the Lord is telling the apostles that they're to go to teach Jews and Gentiles. And then those that fail to receive the gospel, make a profession of faith, then they're to baptize them. Then they're to continue to teach them all things whatsoever I've commanded you. They did not have the liberty to teach more than that. And they didn't have the liberty to preach less than that. They were to preach the entirety of that, of all that Christ had commanded them. Now baptism is one of those commands. Baptism is an ordinance of the New Testament church. Now baptism started with a man named John the Baptist. That was not the name his parents gave him. His parents, Zacharias and Elizabeth, gave him the name of John. We go to Luke chapter 1, we find where Elizabeth was barren, and Zacharias and Elizabeth was very old and well stricken in years. It was beyond the capability of these two people to have a child without the direct intervention of God. But God tells them that their prayers come up for memorial before him. Their prayers have been heard. And said, Elizabeth shall conceive and bring forth a son, and I shall call his name John. The most popular name in all the world, number one name among boys, men, is John. Now, he carried that name for 30 years. Then when he was 30 years old, he began his ministry. And we come to Matthew chapter 3, and it said that John the Baptist was in Judea, in the wilderness, baptizing folks. Now he's known as the Baptist, John the Baptist. In other words, he was a baptizer. He was the first baptizer. He was the first man of God to ever baptize anyone. And we find that John came as a forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ, and his mission uh, had many parts to it. In the book of John, chapter 1, verse 6, it says, There was a man sent from God 
whose name was John. It says he came to bear witness, he came to be a witness, to bear witness of that light, that word light spelled with a capital L, because it has reference to the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's light personified. He came for witness and to bear witness of that light. That light was, again, the Son of God. That was one of the things he came to do. He came as a witness to bear witness. We find in Luke 1.17, it says, He came to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, we're talking about the Jewish people in particular here. They had been God's chosen people in the Old Testament day. We find God had given them the oracles of God. He gave them the ceremonial law, given them the civil law, given them the moral law. And he'd given them the Old Testament scriptures which prophesied of his son coming into this world. By studying those prophecies, they could determine where he'd be born, when he'd be born, how he'd be born. He'd be born in Bethlehem, Judea. He'd be born of a virgin. He'd be born at a particular time that's determined by studying the book of Daniel. So the Jewish people should have been anticipating his coming. But the Jewish people at this time was in a great period of darkness. They had added many things of their own, their own traditions to the law of Moses. We find the Lord was very displeased with this. Anyway, the Lord sent a man by the name of John the Baptist to prepare a people, or make ready a people, prepared for the Lord. He was to make them ready. He was to introduce the Lord Jesus Christ. He was to identify him. In the book of John, first, uh, John Verse 29, we find where it says he pointed him out as the Lamb of God. He saw Christ coming in the distance. He pointed him out and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He identified this man as being the Lamb, that's spelled with a capital L. The Lamb of God, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So that was another job he had. But one of the main jobs he had was to preach a message that we find in Matthew chapter 3 again, when it says in John the Baptist came preaching to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven had been prophesied by many of the prophets of the Old Testament to come into this world with the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, it is at hand. And you need to repent and be baptized, uh, confessing your sins. We find that's exactly what John was doing. We find several accounts of this. You go to the book of Mark, chapter 1, verse 4 said that John the Baptist was in at the Jordan River baptizing those who came confessing their sins. That was part of the message, that they were to repent and confess their sins. Now, this was a baptism of repentance. It's a little bit different than the baptism you witnessed here this morning. This baptism is taking place before the Lord Jesus Christ and began his public ministry, much less before the Lord went to the cross and died. But it was pointing to that. And all the prophecies had declared that. He was making ready a people prepared for the Lord. And he was only baptizing people who would repent and confess their sins. And we come to the third chapter of Matthew again. And we find he's at the River Jordan. And a lot of people have come to his baptism. And we find where even some Pharisees and Sadducees came to his baptism. But John the Baptist would not baptize those Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees and Sadducees did not come confessing their sins. They didn't think they had any. The Pharisees and Sadducees didn't come 
just plain any fruit meat for repentance because they didn't think they had anything to repent of. And so John would not baptize them. Remember, that was the uh, qualification for baptism here, was that those who came to be baptized in John must confess their sins and display repentance, and then he would baptize them as they would then look forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and him putting away their sins about three years down the road. So this is John's baptism of repentance. Now we learn quite a bit from this, I think. First of all, the mo- the, there's four st- things important, four essential steps for proper New Testament baptism. It has to be by immersion. It cannot be by sprinkling. It cannot be any other way other than immersion. John the Baptist was baptized in the River Jordan. One of the gospel writers tells us he was there because there was much water there. See, I don't need much water to sprinkle. I could, I could sprinkle a lot of people, this one glass of water right here, a lot of people, but I can't immerse not one. I don't think there's anybody here small enough to get in that glass. Uh, I mean, we got some small folks, but nobody's small enough to get in that glass and be immersed in that glass. We went into a baptistry where there was sufficient amount of water where I could lay Sister Z beneath that water and bring her up, which symbolizes the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, you see. Now, you have to have the proper mode, which is immersion. The word baptize comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to immerse or to dip, means to cover. So you have to have the proper mode. You have to have the proper subject. And the proper subject in John the Baptist's day was somebody who was willing to confess their sins and repent of their life, whatever the case might be. If you didn't repent, didn't confess your sins, then you were not qualified to be baptized, you see. And then it had to be the proper motive. That has to be in there. Why are you being baptized? Well, we believe in a believer's baptism. That just simply means that a person being baptized must believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Must believe that he and he alone put away our sins by a sacrifice on the cross. Then you have to have the proper administrator. You have to have a person that's qualified to do the baptizing. Now John the Baptist obviously was qualified because that's what God sent him to do. Remember, there's a man sent from God whose name was John. God sent him to bear witness. John sent him to preach the gospel. John sent him to declare a message of repentance and forgiveness of sins to be displayed before he had baptized somebody in Jordan's river. He sent him to make ready a people prepared of the Lord. John fulfilled his role. We are told he did that. He died in an early age being beheaded because he took a righteous stand for the moral standards of God. But he fulfilled his course. He did exactly what God sent him to do. He came to identify the Lord Jesus Christ, to point him out, a forerunner of Christ, again to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, these were God's people, but they needed to be prepared. And John's coming along, and he's declaring to them, the Messiah's coming, the Messiah's coming. He's just, he's going to be here at any time, so to speak. And then John the Baptist did something that no other man's ever done. He baptized the Lord Jesus Christ. He baptized the Son of God. Now, you might think, well, why in the world was Jesus baptized? Certainly, he didn't have any sins to confess because he wasn't a sinner. He certainly didn't have anything to to repent of. He never said anything, did anything 
to bring any kind of condemnation to turn from, to repent from, to change from. And that's all correct. So why would Jesus Christ be baptized? Well, for one thing, he's setting forth an example for you and I. Jesus was baptized at the beginning of his ministry. The Lord didn't start his ministry until he was 30 years of age. The Lord Jesus Christ kept the law of Moses to a jot into a tunnel during his earthly life going all the way to the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he was baptized of John, said unto John, Suffer to be so, John, for it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, he said that because John the Baptist didn't feel worthy to baptize Jesus. When Jesus came to be baptized of John, John said, I have need to be baptized of thee. And that's how he felt about it. But Jesus was not going to baptize John, and nobody else baptized John. Because John was a very important, pivotal character, you might say, in a uh, transition period of time from law to grace. From the law of Moses to worshiping God in spirit and truth in the New Testament church that Christ would establish and set up. He said, I have need to be baptized of thee. I'm not worthy to stoop down and loose the shoe latches of your shoes. You see how great this man was in his humility. You probably won't find a more humble man in the word of God than John the Baptist. Spoke on humility last Sunday. John the Baptist was a very humble man. He said, I must decrease and he might increase. When John was doing the work God sent him to do, John did not want to be in the spotlight. John just kind of wanted to fade out of the picture, so to speak. He said, he must increase, talking about Christ, and I must decrease. That should be the attitude and spirit of every true gospel minister. You know, they're not up here for people to pat them on the back and one thing or another. Now, that doesn't mean you can't encourage them. Some people get that mixed up. Some people get mixed up. You know, some people got the attitude, it's God's work to bless the man, it's their work to keep him humble. Well, God doesn't need any help in either category, okay? (laughs) God can keep his servants very humble, very easily. All he's got to do is withdraw his presence, and he'll go home uh, having a terrible week. So John the Baptist then certainly was a qualified man to do the baptizing he was doing. So he baptizes the Lord Jesus Christ. When Christ says, suffer to be so, John... For it becometh us, you and I, to fulfill all righteousness. When Jesus Christ was baptized, he, symbolically speaking, was pointing to what he was going to do three and a half years down the road. In three and a half years from that time right there, the Lord Jesus Christ would hang on a cross. The Lord Jesus Christ would make an offering to the Father. He'd make a sacrifice to the Father for the sins of those whom the Father had given him before time ever began in a covenant relationship but had fallen in Adam like everybody else. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. To do that, he's got to make a perfect offering, a perfect sacrifice, live a perfect life. The Lord Jesus Christ, symbolically speaking, three and a half years before he accomplished it, showed he was going to go somewhere to the cross. He was going to die. He's going to be buried. He's going to be raised again, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. When the Lord Jesus Christ was baptized by John, as he was coming up out of the water, we notice the wording here, he came up straightway out of the water. That means he was immersed. John the Baptist put him beneath the water. He was totally submerged underneath the water. When I baptize somebody, when I put them out of the water, there's just a slight hesitation. That probably scares them half to death. But the reason I do that is I want to make a home set sure that water goes over their face. I've had two people in my almost 50 years of preaching that I had to come up and say, we've got to do this again. Now, one of them, Brother Jim Link, he, he calls me, he said he got double dipped. 
And there was a young man in the state of Florida many years ago, and he just kind of buckled up, you know, and I told him, I said, you know, well, I got all day. Uh, that's what I told him. I said, I got all day. I said, but we're not coming out of this Baptist church. You're totally under that water. I tell you that now. You ever been to a cemetery, to a burial, and they just put a few shovelfuls of dirt on top of the casket and walk away and leave it that way? No, you don't. When you leave that cemetery, uh, that casket is down beneath the ground and all the dirt's on top of it. And outside the evidence of fresh dirt, you never know anybody was underneath it, you see. So baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord was foretelling symbolically what he came this world to do. And when he's baptized, we find where heaven opened up. And the Father spoke, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit of God descended in the bodily form and shape of a dove. you got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all three, the Trinity, right there at the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what it's also telling me? Is that God the Father was very pleased with this act. God the Father was very pleased with John the Baptist, baptizing his son in Jordan's River. Heaven opened up, and he said he was. This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. I'm totally confident when baptism is ministered properly and biblically and scripturally, as I feel like it was here this morning, we had the proper mode, immersion, the proper candidate, Sister Z, proper administrator I trust in myself, and the proper motive that she expressed last Sunday. God's well pleased. I believe God has smiled down upon this service this morning. And God was well pleased what his son had just done, well pleased with John the Baptist baptizing his son there in Jordan's River. Jesus Christ had never committed a sin, never would. He wasn't baptized confessing his sins, wasn't baptized repenting, because he had nothing to repent of, but he was baptized as an example to us and foretelling, symbolically speaking, what he was going to do about three and a half years down the road. Now, when the Lord finished out his earthly life, when the Lord made an offering on Calvary and it was accepted by the Father, see, that, by the way, that's what that foretells back there, that what he was going to accomplish three and a half years down the road, the Father was going to smile upon that as well. You go to Isaiah chapter 53, verses 10 and 11, and it said, The Lord saw the travail of his soul and he was satisfied. He was satisfied with what his son accomplished. That was symbolically given to us when the Lord was baptized. Now the Lord has laid down his life. He's come forth out of the grave. The grave couldn't hold him. He was there for three days and three nights just like he said he would be. And then the Lord spent 40 days on this earth and then the Lord left this earth and went back to heaven. But before he did, he tells those apostles to go and teach all nations, Jews and Gentiles now, where the Holy Spirit opens up a door of opportunity, you to go and preach the gospel, but not only preach, but you also to go and baptize. When you're baptized properly, you're saying several things in a public setting. You're saying that you love the Lord. You're saying you believe the Lord and Jesus Christ put away your sins as far as the east is from the west. You're saying that you want to walk in the footsteps of the Lord and Jesus Christ in a pathway of discipleship. That's all said in what we just did here this morning. You love the Lord. You want to follow his teachings. You want to be obedient to him. You believe he is the Christ, the Son of God, and he and he alone put away your sins once again as far as the east is from the west. Don't just love that expression, as far as the east is from the west. 
You know, if you travel north and go so far, you start going south. If you travel south and go so far, you start traveling north. But if you start traveling east or west and keep going that direction, you'll always go in that direction. He gave us that illustration to let you know that when he died on Calvary, your sins were totally put away. Your sins were totally remitted. He saved you totally and completely from your sins, and now heaven is going to be your home. That's what he's telling you. That's not preached everywhere. I can tell you that now. It's preached here, though. And Lord willing, it's going to continue to be here. All right? So the Lord gives them this commandment. And now they go out preaching. Now I want to take a look at a few examples in the book of Acts. And I want to see if these four things I mentioned to you are present in the book of Acts. We come to Acts chapter 2, and the Apostle Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. And the Apostle Peter had been preaching the gospel for three, three and a half years himself, but never had any results like this. The Lord blessed abundantly on this occasion. And when the Apostle Peter got through preaching, and notice the last thing he says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, that all the house of Israel surely know that this same Christ whom you have crucified and been made both Lord and Christ. He says, you crucified him. He charges Israel, the nation of Israel, with the national sin of crucifying the Son of God. Here's a Jewish preacher preaching to a Jewish congregation about a Jewish Messiah. Now this Jewish Messiah was put to death by these Jewish people, and the Apostle Peter is given a declaration of that on this occasion here. But Peter had preached in this message that this Messiah came to save his people from their sins. And when he got through preaching, the Bible tells us in Acts 2.38. In Acts 2.38, uh, in response to what happened when he finished his message, just back up just a little bit, it says, as many as were pricked in the heart. There were those on that occasion that were pricked in the heart. That tells me that they'd already been born of the Spirit of God. You cannot prick the heart of an unregenerate person. An unregenerate person has a stony heart inside. A regenerated person has a heart of flesh on the inside. The Lord's the one who made the switch. The Lord's the one who done the heart surgery, took out the hard and stony heart and replaced it with a heart of flesh. And therefore, those who had a heart of flesh, they were pricked in their heart by the message of the Apostle Peter. And so they said, men and brethren. Now notice how they addressed Peter and the Apostles. Men, yes they were, brethren also. Men and brethren. Remember what Ananias said to Saul of Tarsus? After the Lord revealed to Ananias who Saul of Tarsus was, he was a chosen vessel unto him, and behold, he prayed. When he got to where Saul of Tarsus was, he reached down and took his hand and said, Brother Saul. That's why when I shake your hand, I call you brother in your name, or sister in your name. Brother Saul, because the Lord had showed him that Saul was kin to him, you see. All right, he said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, Peter had already declared what Jesus did. Now, they want to know, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent. Peter's bringing the same message John the Baptist did. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Let's just take a look at that verse, because it's used out here uh, among uh, a number of people to try to teach that baptism is essential for eternal salvation. You realize, don't you, if that's true, you're going to have a mighty few people in heaven. Mighty few people in heaven. And the Bible teaches contrary to that. 
Bible teaches there are going to be many in heaven. The Bible teaches there will be a people in heaven that you cannot number out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Let's take a look at this verse very carefully. Who did Peter address this to? To those that were pricked in the heart. Everybody wasn't pricked in the heart in that mass of people that he preached to, but there were some who were. In fact, we're going to find it's going to be about 3,000 of them. He said, repent, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. The name Jesus means Savior. Christ means anointed. Repent me baptized in the name of the Savior that was anointed for the remission of sins. That word for there before remission of sins means on the basis of, on account of. When you're properly baptized, you don't have your sins put away. Your sins were put away legally by Jesus Christ on the cross. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins on the basis that your sins have been remitted. On account of your sins have been remitted. They've been taken away. They've been put away as the east is from the west once again. That's why I was baptized. I was baptized because on the day that I joined the church, the preacher reached my case. The gospel was preached. The Spirit of God was present. My heart was touched. My heart was pricked. And I wanted to be among the most loveliest people I thought I'd ever seen and ever knew anything about. <laughs> That's why I was baptized, because the preacher had preached salvation by the grace of God. The preacher had preached that Jesus Christ was Lord of Lords and King of Kings and saved me from my sins. And there on the basis of my sins being put away, I wanted to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in discipleship. I wanted to be a follower of Jesus I never joined the church and was baptized because I thought that was going to make me a child of God or make me have a secure place in heaven. That never crossed my mind. I wanted to be among the Lord's people here who'd gone before and made a professional faith. I wanted to unite with a band of people who were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ on account of their remission of sins, on account of their sins that had been put away, on the base of their sins being put away. And he says, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. There's something you do receive in baptism. In 1 Peter chapter 3, the apostle Peter said, Baptism doth now save us, not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. When you believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you fail to submit to proper baptism, you're not going to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost like Peter's saying right here. And you're not going to get the answer of a clear conscience toward God. That's what Peter says salvation will do. It will now save you, deliver you, not putting away the filth of the flesh. Now I think anybody understands this morning that when you're baptized and you're immersed, that does not give you a literal bath. It doesn't. And it does not put away the filth of the flesh, so to speak. That is the sins of the body, the sins of the flesh. The sinful nature. It doesn't put away your sinful nature. My sinful nature is still with me, and I was baptized over 50 years ago. I still got it. You want it? <laughs> I'll give it away. I'll pay you to take it. You ever had something you want to get rid of so bad, you just pay somebody to take it away? You couldn't give it away, so I'll pay you to take it away. If I could pay you to take away my old man, my old nature, I'm telling you, I'd give you enough to make you think about it. That's how little I think of him. But unfortunately, I have to carry him with me everywhere I go. Unfortunately, he's with me when I get up. Unfortunately, he's with me during the day. Unfortunately, he's with me while I lay down at night. 
And unfortunately, he's with me sometimes in those, all them crazy dreams I dream. I tell you one thing I thank God for is that 95% of my dreams vanish about the time I open my eyes, and I'm thankful for that. This old man, it's not to put away this old man, to put away the sins of the flesh. But he gave me an answer of a clear conscience toward God. You see, I've never had the desire to be baptized again because I believe I did it properly. I came before the church. I expressed my love for the Lord before the church. I told him I wanted to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't remember verbatim now everything I said. Uh, you know, me and my brother joined the church at the same time. Neither one of us had talked about it. And we came around in a handshake, and I made it back past the preachers, a uh, few people. And then the singing stopped, and I looked back, and my brother was joining the church. And I thought, well, I'm going to do the same. <laughs> and I turned there and went back up there. We'll never forget, that was just a wonderful blessing concerning my brother and I. have had many wonderful experiences together, and that's one of them. Karen was there with me the first time. Some of you know this, some of you don't. First time she ever went with me to the old Baptist church. On the way down, I did all I could to prepare because I knew it was going to be different than anything she'd ever experienced. What I had not anticipated was that the Lord was going to deal with me on that occasion, that day, unlike any other time I've ever been. Tears began to come to my eyes. I began to weep. I never would have done that for a love of money in front of her. But I did. I joined the church. Hadn't, hadn't really been on my mind about doing something like that. And, of course, that's the first time she ever went. And then when the preacher asked everybody in favor of receiving Brother Wallen into the church, she stood up and voted with everybody else. <laughs> and, of course, she wasn't even a member she joined the next time. <laughs> so there's a deliverance in baptism. Some people got the idea that baptism is nothing. Oh, it's okay if you want to be baptized. You don't want to, it's okay. That's certainly erroneous. Then some people got the idea that baptism is essential. Without baptism, you can't go to glory. That's certainly not biblical. But baptism is important. It honors God. It glorifies the Savior. It lifts his name up. You're saying again in a public way how much you love the Lord. You believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. You believe in the salvation of the Lord from beginning to end, from first to last. That can be added to it, and that can be taken away from it. See, baptism is a theological uh, picture as well. When I baptized Sister Z this morning, I baptized in the name of the Father. Because it was the Father that loved her before time ever began. It was the Father that loved her and gave her to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It was her Father uh, that loved her with an everlasting love, a love that will never end. He loved her personally. He loved her individually. And I baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, who's the Savior of sinners. I baptized her in the name of that one who loved her so much he was willing to leave heaven. And come down and spend 33 and a half years in this, in this world, on this earth right here, and be ridiculed, be despised, and rejected of men. But he'd go all the way to Calvary and lay down his life for poor sinners just like all of us. For everyone whom Jesus died for will be in glory someday. There's not one single person Jesus died for that won't enter the portals of glory when he comes back again at the second end of time. Isn't that a wonderful doctrine, the doctrine of grace? Like, you understand it? 
I baptized her in the name of the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit because it was the Spirit of God that reached her case. It was the Spirit of God that reached my case. It was Jesus Christ who laid in his life for me. It was the Father, my friends, that loved me. We believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in that death, burial, and resurrection, he accomplished everything that was necessary for the salvation of sinners. He didn't make anybody savable. He didn't make salvation a possibility. That's such a a sad doctrine. You see, the opposite of that is this. When you're baptized in the name of God, who loved everybody without exception, baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for everybody without exception, when you baptize the name of the Holy Spirit, they're striving and working and laboring and trying to save people from their sin. And maybe he's reaching some and not reaching others. In other words, what is being said there is this. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ by itself saved no one. Something has to be added to it. Something has to be done in addition to it. Where we believe the doctrine of grace says this, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ saved all that the Father gave unto him. Nothing can be added to it, and nothing can be taken away from it. I look back at that day about 50 years or more ago, and I see the scene now. I got a text from Brother Todd Sanford this morning. He said, preparing the baptistry water, they was dumping uh, a lot of ice in it because they wanted really chilly like I had when I was baptized. I mentioned every now and then. (laughs) I'm glad he didn't do that. It was nice and warm. It was just right. But that's had a saving effect in my life ever since. When I think about it, it brings happiness to my life right now. When I think about it, it brings joy to my heart and soul right now. When I think about that glorious morning, it seemed like all the cares of this world were taken away and just for a few fleeting moments, my friends, I really feel like it was. I had to get back to reality the the next week. (laughs) All of a sudden I realized I didn't live in a perfect world. All of a sudden I realized I wasn't among a perfect people. All of a sudden, I realized I was still a sinner like I'd always been. Uh, I, got, I had to realize one more time how important it was for me to rededicate, recommit myself on a regular, on a daily basis. And that's the way it's been day after day after day after day. All these years, my friends, every day is a new day. And every day, I have to strive to walk in the, in the footsteps of the Lord and Jesus Christ. I, I, want to, I want to embrace him. I want to honor him. I want to praise him. And discipleship all begins with the important ordinance of carrying it out called baptism. I was going to give you several examples this morning, but I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you one more. Found in the book of Acts chapter 8, you're going to find a man by, that was a eunuch. And the eunuch had been down to Jerusalem to worship. And he was on his way back. So let's see, what was he doing prior to his baptism? He'd traveled a long ways to Jerusalem to worship. And traveling back in a chariot, we find him reading from Isaiah chapter 53. He was so blessed down there in that worship service in Jerusalem, his mind was so stirred up, he was still trying to learn more. He's reading from the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. And the Lord is going to honor that. You know, Hebrews eleven six 6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please God, but he that cometh to him must believe that he is, and is rewarded them that diligently seek him. He's going to reward this eunuch. And so he sends Philip down there. 
And when Philip got near the chariot, we find where he said, Understand this, what thou readest, how can I accept some man guide me? Here's a man who'd been to worship. Here's a man still reading. He's still studying. He's in Isaiah chapter 53. And you notice here, there wasn't any introductions. You ever thought about that? Here's a man come running up to him. They'd never met. But they bypassed introductions. <laughs> I believe the eunuch was in such a, a high spirit of things. He was so heavenly minded. He was no earthly good, so to speak. And when the man came, it must have been just something about him that gave him confidence. This was a good man. And the man says, understand, it's what you read. He says, how can I accept some man guide me? He said, I, I'm having trouble here in this passage of Scripture. Is the man talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? And the Bible says that Philip took the same Scripture and preached to him Christ. I believe we'd say we have a proper candidate, don't you? The eunuch right here shows all types of evidence of having already been born of the Spirit of God. Here's a man who went to worship. Here's a man who's studying Isaiah 53. Here's a man interested in knowing is this man told by himself or somebody else. And Philip takes the same scripture, preaches Christ, and then they come to where there's some water, and the eunuch says, Here's water. What doth hinder me from being baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest all thine heart, thou mayest. I told you believe in a believer's baptism. If thou believest all thine heart, thou mayest. He said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Upon saying that, he baptized the eunuch into the water. Now, what was the eunuch doing prior to being baptized? He was showing all kinds of evidences. He was one of God's children born of the Spirit of God. He didn't get baptized to become a child of God. He's already one, already born of the Spirit. And God sent him a preacher down there to preach to him. And he cleared up the matter. See, that's what preaching is supposed to do. It's supposed to kind of clear up the matter. <laughs> Where you've been reading, you've been studying, you've been considering certain things, and the preacher comes along and irons it out for you. <laughs> At least that's what I try to do. Try to iron it out for you. And it said the preacher was caught away by the Spirit, and the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. I believe this is going to be a wonderful day for Sister Z. And I believe she'll leave this place today rejoicing. And then I like the way this chapter ends. Philip was from Caesarea. When he left that place, it names about four places this man went preaching along the way. In other words, there's a picture of Philip preaching on his way home. <laughs> on his way home, he was making every stop count. On his way home, he was preaching every little stop. He was preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that's the great desire in the heart of every, every God-called minister of the gospel, my friends, that loves the Lord and understands the doctrine of grace. He just liked to preach at every little stop all the way home. I've told people before, I said, you know, when I preach at my home church, I usually preach about 45, 50 minutes as a rule. Preach on the radio Years ago, I preached on the radio live. I had to, had to preach about 23 minutes. But I can preach five minutes. Lord bless me. In fact, you just give me one minute. I can tell you a lot in one minute. <laughs> so I got one-minute discourses. I got uh, five-minute sermons. I got 30-minute sermons. I got 45-minute uh, sermons, 50-minute sermons. If the Lord will bless me, I have that kind of sermon.
if the Lord would bless me and bless you, one of these days I'd like to see if he's got a three-hour sermon in me. I'll tell you ahead. No, I won't. You won't show up. <laughs> Baptism, what a wonderful Lord. It's what a wonderful experience when you've you got the right administrator, you got the right mode, you got the right motive, and you got the right candidate. And that's a service, my friends, that will honor and praise the Lord. Thank you so much for your wonderful attention this morning.